Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Well, today uh, we begin this two-week series called Helping the Next Gen Win. And uh, I'm so excited about this series. You know, for us, uh, I, if, you, if you know this or you don't know this, like I sit down basically every six months or so, and I plan out the, the, the series that we're going to be going through as a church. And my goal, just so you know, my goal is uh, similar to that of a potter's. Um, I, I, have, I have a piece of moldable clay in front of me, and that piece of clay is our congregation. And collectively, what are we going to be purposed for? Uh, am I going to make a vase? Am I going to make a plate? Am I going to make a cup? Like, what am I going to make in front of me? And as, as we go through and, and, and we decide the series and the things that we're preaching on, along with, obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the work of Jesus Christ in and through us, um, my goal is to shape us into something that can be used as a, like for, for a purpose, that can be used purposefully. And so as we were uh, considering what series do we want to kind of go into, I, I want to give us a vision of how we, as a church, can collectively help the next gen win. And because here at Redemption, our goal is always gonna, going to be to help the next gen meet, know, and live for Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about throughout this series. Now, when I, uh, when I, you know, talked about this series for the very first time, you heard the actual uh, series title, Helping the Next Gen Win. I think there are two negative responses that might be coming uh, forward out of you. One of them might be, uh, hey, you know what, like, that's not super spiritual. So, like, shouldn't we be talking about Jesus and salvation? And, like, why are we talking about the generational conversation? Because it's just rote and over, you know, overdone, and I'm just, like, I'm tired of that, Okay. Uh, I promise you this, you will be challenged spiritually through this two weeks, okay, through this two-week series. So don't opt out of the conversation, but instead opt in. Don't check out, but opt in, okay? The second thing, I, I think if, if you come from a generation like Gen Z uh, or, or millennials, I, I think you might be at this place where you're like, you know what, like I've been dumped on a lot by older generations who are just frustrated. And maybe if you're in the older generations, the other two that are, you know, and by the way, this doesn't mean you're old, but older uh, Gen X or, uh, or boomers, if you're in those generations, maybe you're thinking, you know what, like, I'm just kind of frustrated with millennials, and I'm kind of frustrated with Gen Z, and, and so, like, this whole generational conversation, again, it's just like, it brings up a lot of frustration and just like, ugh, like angst inside of me, okay? Uh, I promise you, it, this will be a unifying series, um, so do not check out, but opt in, Okay? For the purpose of this series, I want to be clear. Um, when we talk about 
the next gen, what we're talking about is the generation that comes after us, all right? And so uh, if you are in the silent generation, there's nobody that goes to redemption that's in the silent generation, but maybe they watch on YouTube. So, it, you know, if you're in the silent generation, okay, uh, then boomers is, you know, baby boomers, that's your generation, that's the next gen. If you're a baby boomer, your next gen, Gen X. If you're Gen X, your next gen is millennials, that's my generation. If you're a millennial, your next gen is Gen Z. And if you're Gen Z, by the way, you do have a generation that comes after you. It's called Gen Alpha or Generation Alpha. We're going to talk about all this. Uh, but everybody in here has a generation that comes after them, okay? And so our goal is not to help just the young people win. We're not just trying to help Gen Alpha and Gen Z win. No, no, no. We're trying to help the generation that's right after us win, okay? So as we go through this series, just know that that's kind of the general purpose. Now, um, I do want to say this, that um, when it comes to generations, I, I think there is a, a lot of like differences between generations. And so with differences, there can often, you know, become a lot of frustrations in those differences. Um, but I've learned a lot from generations that are not of my generation. Uh, baby boomers, for example, like have you ever met a baby boomer? They understand long-suffering loyalty. They do. They're long-suffering in their loyalty to their family, to their friends, to their job, um, to their country, to so many things. They have long-suffering loyalty, and I really, really, really respect that. Generation X, um, this is, uh, I, I love Generation X. I actually, sometimes I kind of, you know, like joke on them more than anybody else because they're a very small generation. And the funny thing about Generation X is there's not a lot that's written about them. Um, and the reason is this, it's because they're hardworking and they're quiet. What I've learned about Generation X is that great work doesn't have to be boastful work. Just because you work hard doesn't mean that you have to tell the whole world about it. They're not caught up on Instagram and Facebook. They don't really care that much about it. Baby boomers adopted Facebook. Gen X kind of stayed off of all of it. Uh, and then millennials adopted, you know, uh, Instagram. And we tell the whole world about everything that, you know, we have all the way from our alfalfa covered avocado toast all the way to like, hey, we've mopped the floor today. Isn't that cool? And, um, but not Gen X, right? Because for them, great work doesn't have to be boastful work. For millennials, uh, what I've found from my peers and what I've learned from my peers is that justice matters. It really does. And like that, I, in many ways, um, you know, as a collective generation, like it kind of was resurrected. It didn't start with us, but in some ways it was resurrected with millennials. And it's a biblical thing. Last week we read the story about Jesus. He's talking to the Pharisees and he says this. He says, for you are careful to tithe even on the tiniest of your herbs from your garden. Hey, good for you guys, right? But... You ignore justice in the love of God. Like Jesus calls it out. Hey, it's awesome you tithe. But he actually says you ignore the more important things like justice and the love of God, okay? And so uh, we learn from millennials to fight for justice. It's a good thing. Gen Z. I, I love this about Gen Z. They are global stewards of our earth. Now, it doesn't matter what you think politically. I, don't, I really don't care about that. I'm serious. Uh, don't, don't look at the politics behind that fight. Look at this that they do have a heart to steward our earth. Just stop there. Don't go into politics. Just look at that. They have a heart to steward our earth. I love that. Now, whether you believe that it's, you know, it's, it's the right way or it's the wrong way, it doesn't matter. There's a heart to steward the earth. And, and I think that's what God gave us this earth. And he's like, hey, have dominion over it. But guess what? It's the same earth we have for eternity, okay? It's going to be glorified. It's going to be different. But it's the same earth. Let's not screw it up, okay? 
in Gen Zs, they really get that. Generation Alpha, they're eight years old and younger, so I can't really, I just don't really know what we're going to learn from them yet. I'm excited, though. I'm excited to learn from Generation Alpha. I think it's going to be good. Um, but right now, I don't know what we're learning from them. We'll find something. Okay. Um, so uh, this is what I've learned. I've learned that we're better together. Um, I, uh, I heard someone talk about generations one time, and uh, it was a pastor, and um, my wife was overhearing, I was like listening to some different like stuff that people around the, you know, uh, the, the country were talking about when it came to generations and uh, within the context of the church. And, and my wife was like, what are you listening to? And I was like, oh, it's this like sermon, this guy's talking. And she goes, I would never go back to that church if I heard that sermon because all it was was very like disunifying. It was very like, you know, angsty towards younger generations. This is not going to be that sermon series. We are better together. Um, have you ever seen a rose before? Uh, ladies ever received a rose? It's great, right? A single rose, awesome, good for you. Have you received a dozen roses? Whoo, now we're talking, it's getting better, okay? But what about this? What if you took a rose or a dozen roses and you added something somewhat small and somewhat insignificant called baby's breath and all of a sudden, right? Like, I mean, it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's a work of art. Okay, now, like, let's go beyond that and let's go ahead and take that bouquet of flowers Let's wrap it. If you don't go to Deerberg's, gentlemen, go to Deerberg's, pick out two or three bouquets of flowers, go to the people at the counter and say, hey, I need these put together. I need them wrapped and looking beautiful for my sweetie tonight. Let's go. And they're going to put them all together. You're going to walk out of there for like 35 bucks. Any other place in the world, it's like $100 for these flowers. I just got my wife flowers uh, for our anniversary. And she's like, these are the most beautiful flowers in the world. And uh, Deerberg saved my butt. Okay, so incredible. But like wrap them, all right? Make them really nice. Put a bow on it. Okay, now let's put them in a killer vase. Like when it all works together, it's a work of art, right? It's a work of art. And the truth is when it comes to generations, like we are a work of art when we come together. But when we're missing a generation, when the church is missing a generation, it's like Italian food without garlic. It, it's just empty. It just doesn't work, Right? It just doesn't work. It's like going to the beach without the sunshine. It's overcast. How many of you said to me, like, yeah, we went to the beach. The entire time we were there, it was gray skies, right? That's awful. It just doesn't work. It's empty, okay? It's like a PB&J without the PB. It's like Christmas without family. Like, at the end of the day, it just feels empty. And so as a church, we want to collectively engage every generation that we can. And I'm here to tell you that we really do. What's crazy about redemption is something that we prayed for from the very beginning is that we wouldn't have one generation that is overrepresented here at Redemption. We just took the NCD survey. It's a national church development survey. We're going to be talking more about that in the future. Um, hold on one second here. I think my phone's going off. Uh, nope, it's one of y'all's. Anyway, uh, so I, um, <laughs> I, that wasn't me calling you out. I was actually thinking mine was on. Um, uh, gosh, what was I talking about? Hey, survey. Thanks, guys. Okay, NCD, National, uh, National Church Development Survey. And, uh, you know, uh, we had kind of a collection of people from Redemption come and take this, this survey. We got the results back, and I was sitting down with the coach, and he was like, hey, man, uh, what's crazy about this is, like, when you look at the, 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 the generations and the gender breakup, like, you literally are, like, there's not one group that overrepresents the other group. I is that normal for your church? And I was like, yes, Absolutely. And he goes, I, I'm just here to tell you that's absolutely insane. And even more so for a church plant, it doesn't exist. Like this is a prayer that we've been praying from the very beginning and the Lord answered it, okay? And he's answering it as people continue to come to redemption. 
Um, and so uh, we want to make sure that we're better together than we're that bouquet of flowers wrapped in the vase, roses, baby's breath, some, you know, plant food, everything all together. Okay, that's us. All right. Okay, let's uh, define some generations here for a second. Um, so when you look at the word generation, like what is a generation? I was just sitting earlier today and someone said, well, a generation is 30 years of people. That's not true. Um, and they're like, well, a generation is blah, blah, blah. And they were giving another thing. like, well, that's not true either. Um, so what is a generation? Like most of us don't know. Okay, so generation, uh, the words come from this gene. Uh, the root word gene means, uh, nope, the root word gene means beget or birth. There we go. And, uh, and then... Um, the, the, the last part there, ration, uh, is, a, is a French root word. It's not a, it's not a word by itself, but it's a French root word uh, that stands for race or group of people. And so it's this birth or this, this begetting, this birth of a race or a group of people. Now, what is the race or the group of people? It's not by their skin color or whatever, but it's by the years that they were born in. All right, so that's the generation. It's not a standard set, 30 years or anything like that. And so what we're going to do really quickly, because we don't want to spend all this time on what generations are, but we do want to understand them. Because their differences are beautiful, and their, and their differences are things that we need to understand if we're going to you know, live together in really good diversity, but also really good unity, okay? And so we're going to flow through these, we're going to fly through them. All these numbers come from, from Pew Research, by the way. So if you're like, wait a minute, like I've heard numbers that are different other places, I bet you have. Because they're not always fully agreed upon, but Pew Research gives us these, okay? We're going to start with the lost generation, only because they're the very first generation that was ever defined, so if you think like, hey, generation talk, it's gone back to like, you know, the beginning of time. No, 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 no. It, it started in um, uh, 1890, okay? All right, now, uh, these people, they're dead, all right? Just so you know, there, there's, there's nobody left from this generation. But the last generation, okay? They were first defined, uh, ge- the first defined generation, they fought in World War I. Uh, they were, the, the, the term was coined by American writer Gertrude Stein. I think some of us have heard of her in the 20th century. That's when she coined this term. They, they were called the last generation because many of them lost their life, but then also because they lost their way of life because of the war. Okay, next generation, the interbellum generation. Inter means uh, between and bellum meaning war. And so this generation was raised between World War I and World War II, and you're like, wait a minute, World War II wasn't even happening then, blah, 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 right? But like their, their like years, their teenage years, their early 20-something years, all these things were happening right there in between the wars, okay? Uh, the greatest generation, 1914 to 1927, these people are 107 to 94 years old, um, and so uh, most of them have passed, but um, they, they endured so much, like the Great Depression and World War II. Uh, their term, uh, the term the greatest generation actually comes from a book. It comes from Tom Brokaw's book called The Greatest Generation, okay? And so that's why they're named that. All right, then we have the silent generation, 1928 to 1945. This is 93 years old to 76-year-olds. Um, and here, these are post-war financial troubles, uh, is what they experienced. They experienced a really hard life after the war, and they just silently worked hard to get this country back up and running. Um, they didn't make a stink. They didn't like. They, they they weren't protesters. They weren't fighters or anything except for the the war. Uh, you know, and they came back and they just silently worked hard. Um, also, this is. Uh, the silence is also often referred to as the peace that came about after World War II. Okay, then you have the baby boomer generation, all right? So they all came back from war. We know the story, and they all, they all made love, all right? So then babies came, okay? So 75 years old to 57 years old, there's no real hardships in the baby boomer generation compared to their previous generations. It's one thing that is collective, uh, collectively true about that generation. Um, life was really hard for Americans before the baby boomer generation. They're the first generation that had it good is what most uh, researchers will tell you. 
Uh, this generation is obviously known as the baby boomers because of the baby boom uh, that happened. And uh, th they are a much, much, much wealthier generation than any generation before them. There was a crazy boom of wealth at this time. Um, and um, uh, what else about them? Uh, oh, they, oh, this is really interesting. They're the very first generation, <laughs> possibly in America's existence, that had a positive outlook on the future of the country. That's fascinating to me. All the researchers basically say because of the wars, because of all the hardships, because of all the things that we went through as Americans, this is the first time that there was a positive outlook um, moving forward, which is, it, it's crazy. Okay, Generation X uh, and Baby Busters, 1965 to 1980. This is 56 to 41 years old. Um, we have boomers in this church for sure. We have Xers in this church for sure. Um, and so think of The Breakfast Club when you think of Generation X. This is the one movie that's kind of referenced all throughout uh, conversations about Generation X. It was a cultural commentary on their generation. Um, and uh, why? Because they had no trust for the establishment. This is the very first generation that, that actually broke the trust um, or there, was, there wasn't really like a relationship of trust with the government and the establishment. Uh, Generation X, the term comes from Douglas Copeland's book, Generation X. Um, and he goes into the depths about kind of the anger, the angst, and the resistance and resentment toward the establishment. Uh, this generation, again, like I said, very hardworking, but they keep their nose to the grind, and they're quiet about it. They're just, I mean, collectively a very humble generation, and they work hard, and so there's not a lot written about them, which is really interesting, um, but I love, I love my Gen Xers, okay? All right, then Gen Y, millennials, that's us, all right? This generation, it's me, rather, not us, but me. Um, that's right, come on, millennials. Uh, so this generation, my generation, um, it was coined by the authors William Strauss and Neil Howe. Uh, this generation is called the millennial generation because we came to age at the turn of the millennium. We remember Y2K when we were like, still had a bedtime. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of the deal. Okay, but here's the interesting thing about millennials. Like, we had technology creep into our lives. And so this is a big misunderstanding. Most people believe that millennials were digital natives, and that is not true. It's, it's, factual, it's factually false. Uh, we, we were digital migrants, not as much as Gen X, not as much as boomers, but we were digital migrants. Let me, let me explain it here to you. Yeah, I was a teenager uh, when the Internet, you know, came about broadly, when fast, fast Internet came about. I was 14, me, me personally, I was 14 when the iPod was invented. That's not the iPod Touch. It was the wheel, right? Um, but it was too expensive, so I didn't, I, you know, I didn't get an uh, iPod until I was 18. I, I was 17 when I got a flip phone. Remember those things, like the stupid like T9 texting? It was awful. Uh, I was 19 when the first uh, iPhone was released. The first iPhone, yes. That very same year, the iPod Touch was released when I was 19. So, so you see what I'm saying? Like, we're not digital natives, but we are digital migrants along with most of the people in this room. Uh, this generation, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, didn't grow up with, with uh, all the technology in our, in our cribs and all these other things, but we, we kind of grew into it. Um, and, uh, oh, also, we're much older than most people assumed. 40 years old is the oldest millennial. Is that shocking to anybody, like, when you see that? Couple people. Okay, if you're honest, I was kind of shocked. Okay, uh, Gen Z, generation 1996 to 2012, this is the iGen. They're the very first digital uh, natives. You'll see a line right here. That line is talking about technology. Okay, that's our technology line, right? This is the first um, digital native generation. This generation had iPads in their cribs uh, to soothe them, right? Uh, note that the oldest Gen Zs uh, are now done with their bachelor's degrees. And many of them, if they chose to, they can also be done with their master's degrees. 
All right, again, older than you probably thought. The very last generation that we have is is the Alpha generation, and they're eight years old and younger. Uh, This name was given to them by an Australian author, Mark Mark McCrindle, and uh, this is the first generation to be born completely in the 21st century. So they're Alpha, they're new, they're beginning something new, okay? Um, This idea um, of new is, yeah, 21st century, I already said that. Okay, all right, so, um, did you learn something in there? (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully I didn't do that for nothing. My, my, my point of this is often what happens when it comes to generations is that people start talking about generations from their ignorance, not from their knowledge, but from their ignorance. And I don't say that because, you know, I'm trying to put anybody down. Just the reality is uh, we don't fully understand generations. Um, generations are a weird thing. Uh, they're not a set thing. It's not a decade. It's not 10 years. It's not all this stuff. Kids, so it's a very interesting thing. It happens with the, the ebb and the flow of uh, culture, all right? Do you have your generation confirmed in there? Um, and by the way, there's like other things in there called like the exennial. We can talk about that if that's a real thing or not. That's kind of between the Gen X and the millennials. Um, but uh, anyway, those are the main things kind of by uh, Pew Research, all right? There's a difference between all of these generations. There's a difference in the way that we spend money. There's a difference in the way that we operate in our communities. There's a difference in the way that we work. I, I have a friend who uh, his whole entire job is to do talent acquisition. And as we talked uh, the last time we hung out, he's like, I'm really trying to figure out how to engage Gen Zs and engage millennials and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, effectively lead them in my job. And so there's differences between us. Now, as we go through the rest of tonight and next week, I want to say this. I want us as generations to play nice with each other. I think some of the things that we hear about generations that are negative, uh, you know, I was going through some stuff and just reading things this past week. Like, one of them was that the baby boomers have wrecked the social security system. Like, come on. We, we're in a J curve. Like, do you know how many, like, people or the population in the world is going up? And the reality is, like, that system needed an overhaul a long time ago, okay? They didn't single-handedly, they're not taking all the money uh, themselves, okay? If they wouldn't erect it, the Gen Xers would have, or for sure we would have. All right, millennials, um, you know, this idea that, like, hey, they just want a participation trophy. Are you kidding me? Like, okay, well, when millennials were seven years old, do you think they cracked open their piggy banks, took all their little quarters, marched down to the trophy store, put in an order for the trophies to be ready for four weeks? You know, we're planning that far out, ready for four weeks for section you know, because we're going to go participate, and then we're going to give them to ourselves and give, hand them out to our buddies. Come on, our parents gave us that, right? All right, and then uh, Gen Zs, they're the Tide Pod generation. Like 100 people, 100 people in the entire generation. Do you know how many people are in Gen Z? 72 million people. Like 100 of them ate Tide Pods. Like, yes, they were stupid for doing it, okay, and some of them didn't make it, all right? Um, it stinks. It's really sad. I'm not trying to make fun of it. It really is sad. But it's like 100 people out of 72 million. Here's my point. Every generation has dumb moments, but every generation has something so unique and beautiful about it. And so we want to work together for the gospel, and we want to help the next gen win. Now, here's the thing. The title of the series is Helping the Next Gen Win, and today we're not talking about the next generation because we can't get there yet. We're going to talk with the remainder of, of, of the five to eight minutes that I have left speaking. We're not going to talk about the next generation. We're going to talk about who? Our generation. So whatever generation you're in, if you're a baby boomer, if you're a Gen X, if you're a millennial, if you're a Gen Z, we're talking about you. We're talking about you. We're talking about your peers. And why are we talking about the people in our generation? Why are we starting with our house? Why are we starting with our seat? Because I always say this in leadership. I always say make sure that the ball of responsibility has left your side of the court. That's what I say. 
So if any time our staff goes, hey, we have a problem, I go, okay, has the ball of responsibility left your side of the court? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Can you say that you did everything you were supposed to do? You can't? Okay, so don't be mad at them. You go apologize, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. We always have to make sure, and by the way, I'm the worst at that. We always have to make sure the ball of responsibility has left our side of the court. Great leaders know that they cannot lead someone else before they first lead themselves. Ever been to a job where the boss comes in late every day because she sleeps through her alarm clock because she doesn't value other people's time? And, uh, and then she's drunk every Friday at the, at the luncheon for work. And then she's yelling and cursing out employees. How long does she last there? Not long. How long does the influence as a leader, how long does that last? Not long. And so uh, we need to lead ourselves first. And here's the reality. Someone, listen to this, someone younger than you is counting on you to lead you so that you can lead them when the time is right. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I was, in like, uh, I was in like seventh grade or something like that. My math teacher said, uh, shared this quote. It was Abraham Lincoln. He said, uh, today I will prepare for tomorrow my time will come. And so today we're going to prepare. Uh, Paul, he says this. He's talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. And he's talking about a group of people that he is doing ministry with. He's doing life with this group of people. And he says this. He says, we live in such a way. Ooh, I already love this. Okay, What kind of way, Paul? What kind of way do you live? We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault in our ministry. Let me ask you, do you live in that way? Do you live in such a way that no one will stumble because of you? That no one will find ministry, or no one will find fault in the way that you do ministry. Now, let me start here. Maybe I ask you a prerequisite question. Do you have a ministry to speak of? If we sat down and we looked at your calendar and we and, and you know, let's just let's take Sunday off the books because you know this is it's ministry, but you know, uh, it's easy. Okay, let's look at Monday through Saturday. Uh, do, do you have a ministry? Do, do, do you have a ministry to speak of? So Paul was doing ministry with these people, and he says this. He says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. No one will find fault with our ministry. Okay, as, as I continue, I want you to ask these two questions. Can I say these things that Paul is getting ready to say about me? And can I say these things about my peers? About the, the Christian peers around me? We talked in week two of our series your future self will thank you. We talked about the relationships that we, that we choose, that you choose. And we said this. We said that you don't just need fun friends, but you need faith friends. And so are there peers to your left and your right, are there peers that you can look across the table and go, we're in this together, and we live in such a way that, that, that nobody will look down on Jesus, no one will look down on our ministry because of the way that we live our lives. Okay, so the rest of the stuff here, can, you, can we say this? about ourselves and our generation, in everything we do, he says in verse 3, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Uh, we have been beaten, <laughs> been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Man, Paul, <whistles> bro, this guy has been in it, right? He's been through it, okay? But maybe we can't say that we've been beaten. Maybe we can't say that we've been put in prison or we faced angry mobs, but, but you know, um, real physical persecution, it's not a thing in America uh, collectively. There might be weird examples, but it's not a thing for us. 
Um, but can you say this? Uh, he talks about other things in here. Can, can, you, can you say that you have worked to exhaustion for the ministry? How many in here have worked to exhaustion to hit your deadline at work? <laughs> and if we were honest, the hands would go up, right? Man, I've worked to exhaustion. Like, oh, I can't, I can't do this thing because, like, oh, it's, it's, it's this season. It's tax season or it's this season or it's this season. Or I'm like, I'm raising money for this or I'm doing this. and Like, I mean, the thing is, gosh, I'm putting 70 hours um, working to exhaustion. Paul didn't say he was working to exhaustion to build tents. He didn't know that's what he did as his job. He didn't say, man, like I've driven so many tent stakes. Oh, I'm just exhausted. No, he's talking about ministry. So he worked to exhaustion. By the way, it wasn't just him. It was a bunch of the people around him. And, and if you don't know this, like Paul wasn't a paid minister of the gospel. Uh, I have a cush job these days. I really do. I get paid to love you guys and to lead you guys. Paul didn't get paid. He had to go build tents. That's not what, what exhausted him. He endured sleepless nights, and he, he had gone without food. Like, have you ever made those, uh, those trade-offs in life? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some sleepless nights because I'm going to see people know Jesus, right? Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about our generation, our peers? Remember, we first have to start leading by leading ourselves. Uh, so are we doing this? Okay, he continues, and we're almost done here. He says, so we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us. And by our sincere love, we faithfully preach the truth. When's the last time that you faithfully preached the truth? I was at a wedding on Friday. It's a little different for me. I do have to admit, it's a little easier for me. Uh, but what's interesting is at this wedding, nobody assumed I was a pastor because pastors don't marry people anymore. I don't know if you know this, but I was talking to the DJ and he said, I've done like seven weddings in the last month, and you're the first pastor that's actually done a wedding. Pastors don't do it anymore. Somebody gets their cousin to do it, right? Uh, you, can, you can get your dog license to marry people. It's true, because I know someone who did it. Um, so anyway, um, uh, wait, dog, yeah, wedding. What was I oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting at this table, and, uh, and I just start talking about Jesus. And people are like, uh, last night I was with some friends. They're like, how do you get to that kind of conversation? And um, I was like, I don't know. My wife was like, have you been around him, like, at a table? I mean, like, when was the last time that you preached the gospel to people? And not in a, you know, don't be a jerk about it, right? But just, how, when's the last time you brought up the life-changing truth of Jesus? Um, okay, we preached the gospel. Okay, then he says, uh, God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Man, I love that. Do you serve God? Whether people honor you, whether they love it or whether they despise you for it, do you serve God? Um, and whether they slander us or praise us, the next generation needs you. They need you. And I think sometimes we can get into this belief that the next generation doesn't need us, that they will be okay. You know, my generation, we're the first generation ever to not go to mom and dad collectively for advice. I didn't realize this, and I felt really um, guilty and bad. My dad, uh, over the holidays, he was like, you know, he goes, I feel really sad. You never come to me and ask me for advice. I go, I have Google, Dad. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, he goes, I just, for once, I just want you to call me and ask me for advice. And I was like, I got to pick up the phone and dial and wait for you to answer and blah, blah, blah. By then, 
Google tells me. Like, I, I'm really sorry. But, but, but my point is this. Like, the first generation to ever go to Google. Um, and, and so what, what it shows us is sometimes like, hey, the next generation doesn't need us. Uh, eventually we're going to have AI, you know, cleaning our underwear, you know, like doing laundry, whatever. Um, but they need you. Every generation after you needs you. Now, what hangs in the balance of you not engaging the next generation and bringing them to Jesus? What hangs in the balance? What is lost? But that's next week. The question that's more important today is what hangs in the balance of you not taking your faith seriously today? What are you losing? And what is your generation and your peers losing when you decide to work to exhaustion for everything but the gospel? You decide to give dollar and dollar and time and time for everything in the world except for Jesus Christ. And so... Are we there? Is that where we are? Because someone younger than you is counting on you today to lead you so that you can lead them when the time is right. If you've ever been on a plane, there are oxygen masks. And when the plane is going down, uh, the stewardess, uh, oh, not stewardess, dang it, my wife's going to kill me. I'm not supposed to say stewardess. Guys, can we like cut that from the recording? I'm joking. Uh, man. That's all right. Hopefully she doesn't watch this sermon. Okay. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's, in, she's in Redemption Kids right now. Uh, lo- loving your little ones. Okay. So um, the flight attendant, <laughs> uh, you know, they will come over the intercom and they'll say, hey, the cabin has lost air pressure, right? And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the masks fall from the, from the sky. And essentially what's happening is oxygen has been sapped from the cabin of the, of the airplane. And the, and the oxygen masks fall from the sky, and, and, and what do they tell you to do? They don't tell you to put it on your kid first. And that sounds weird, right? It, it honestly kind of sounds barbaric. But they specifically say, do not give the oxygen mask to little Timmy over here. Little Timmy is going to be dead if you can't help him out. And so what do you have to do? you got to put the oxygen mask on your face first. And here's the truth. We can't lead the next generation before we first lead ourselves. Again, Abraham Lincoln, he says, I will prepare for one day my time will come. But your time is here. Your time is here to lead yourself so that one day when the time is right, you can lead the next generation. And so um, what are you doing? Uh, churches, they, they uh, often die um, when they lose a generation. I think we've seen this. Um, unfortunately, it's true for so many churches in the world. And I knew that it was so vitally important for us to be that bouquet of roses, um, to work together, the baby's breath, and the water, and the vase, and the roses, and the, the plant food, and all these things, ribbons, I knew it was so vitally important for if the gospel is going to move forward, it has to move forward through a generation uh, and generations working together, not just one generation by itself, but it has to work through a church full of generations. And so 
churches often die when they lose a generation. But I think it's, I think the truth is they lost that generation because a generation got out of habit of leading themselves. They stopped reading their Bible on a regular basis. They stopped praying on a regular basis. Church was no longer important to them. It was okay to work for exhaustion or to exhaustion in their workplace, but it was not okay for them to work to exhaustion at their church. Because when the church asks for a little bit of work, the church is being demanding and abusive. But if my boss tells me I gotta work an extra 15 hours this week while a project's gotta get done, bro. Meanwhile, there are people in our city who don't know Jesus. Uh, today we had a moment with the SLU students some pizza, hung out with them, and just chatted with them. They've had a, had a hard week, um, and a lot of things going on on campus. There was a SLU, SLU student who passed away this past week. I don't know that, that person's spiritual life, but you know, every single week I hear people dying, and every single week I wonder if that person's going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Um, I believe in that. It's not a joke. So it dictates everything I do in my life. If we're going to help the next generation win, uh, we have to win. Uh, we have to lead ourselves. So uh, what we're going to do is um, we're going to we're going to spend some time praying. I'm going to invite John back up, and we're going to spend a couple minutes. Uh, we're going to do this next week too. We're going to spend a couple minutes praying, and we're not praying for the next generation. If you're millennials, you're not praying for Gen Z. If you're X, you're not praying for millennials. If you're boomers, you're not praying for X. Uh, we're going to spend some time praying for our generation because it starts with us, right? Go ahead, John.